First Corinthians 13. Let's open our Bibles to First Corinthians 13. We're going to be looking at the first three verses and spending three weekends in First Corinthians 13. So let's read these verses together, these three verses, and then we'll pray. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but do not love, it profits me nothing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are love, that you love us unconditionally, that you lead us in this more excellent way, this path of love. Would you send your Holy Spirit to remind us of your unconditional love? We can't make that happen on our own. Father, we're dependent upon you for you to open up our eyes and our ears to the height and the width and the depth, the dimensions of your love. Those areas of our lives where we don't believe that we're loved by you, would you reveal those? And also, God, would you move us to love one another, to love those that are difficult to love, to love those that you love, that you've died for. So we give our attention over to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you agree that love is being tested right now? It's a little more difficult to love than in days past. Our daughter, Ailey, she's our third born. She's 10 years old, and she needed a new pair of glasses in the midst of, of all of this. It's been quite a process. I think it's taken three to four weeks, and she finally got her glasses, but they're not adjusted yet. So I'm going to share my frustration with you. It was really difficult to get an eye appointment to begin with. Just call and call, call several places, and finally she gets an eye appointment with a doctor. We're headed to the doctor's office and get a phone call. He has an emergency, had to cancel the appointment, reschedule, get in for the eye, eye exam. That was a process in and of itself to go through all the hoops for her to get back there and, and get, get her eyes checked. Then it's going to be two weeks for the glasses to get shipped to our house. And uh, that was a big change for me because uh, normally you get them pretty quick. And her old glasses are broke. So here's our daughter got broken glasses. And so it's been a couple weeks to get in. Now it's a couple weeks to get the glasses. So the glasses come and, and one pair of glasses comes to our house, but the other pair goes to the doctor's office. It's like, I don't know how that happened, but, but it happened. But we can't go in to get them adjusted until we get another appointment because that's the rules from the CDC. So we're waiting till Tuesday at 2.30 for her to go get her glasses adjusted. And that whole process was frustrating. And I found myself, uh, you know, talking to someone on the phone today and I could just start to feel it a little bit. You know, it's, it's in there. And I was like, I got to chill out. There's nothing they can do. These are the restrictions that are being placed upon them. Plus, I got to give a message on love later this evening. So... But love is really being tested, isn't it? 
that things just aren't going as smoothly as they used to go. And, and we do understand that. We, we understand that we're in a, a difficult time, but, it, but it's easy for us to get to a place that we're, we're frustrated. God puts so much priority on love because love is who he is. God is love. This is the very nature of who God is. Sometimes you may get tired of hearing the word love because love has so many definitions from the world. The world has tried to define love. And over the next few weeks, we get to see love from God's perspective. We get to see love defined biblically through the scriptures. And as we think about what are we to be about as believers, our anthem really is love. Our anthem is the love of God. That's what we get to champion. That's what we get to declare. That, that's our, our banner. What are we to be about as a church? We want to be about the message of God's love. God's testimony. His testimony is that he loves the world. That he gave his son to die upon the cross. We get to share that, that testimony. But if we're not careful as believers, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ we're going to find ourselves picking up another anthem. And there's a lot of anthems to pick up right now. There's a lot of bandwagons to, to get on. And not that all of those bandwagons are bad. Some of them have their place. But to understand above all of those things, our anthem is Christ. Above all of those things, our anthem is love. Because even though we agree that love is being tested, also the love of God has the capacity potential to shine right now more than ever. Because when things get dark, the light, the love of God, it really shines the brighter. So yes, it's more difficult, but it's also more needed than ever. So our prayer tonight is that God would show us the importance of love and also show us that he's the source of love. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Without love, even heavenly language sounds annoying. What is the most annoying sound to you? Is it an alarm clock? Where one of your family members just continues to hit snooze and you're like, get out of bed. You know, turn that off. I'm tired of hearing your alarm clock, right? Do you have a family member that snores. You know, speaking of the men's barbecue on Friday, at least it's not a men's retreat. Because one thing that does retreat is sleep at those events. Because men snore. Can I get an amen from the wives, right? Us dudes, we snore. And when you're really tired and you really want to get some sleep and then there's this snoring that takes place, it's an annoying sound. Years ago, Hannah was little. She was a baby, our oldest. And all of a sudden, it's the middle of the night and someone's horn just, just goes off. Something malfunctioned in their car and, and the horn was just stuck on. They must have been out of town, lived right across the street, and it just kept going until eventually, early in the morning, the, the battery went dead. That was, that was annoying, right? So... If I were to stand up here tonight and just had a pot and just banged that pot and clanged it, first you'd probably laugh, but what if I just kept that sound going while I was, was talking to you? You would get annoyed. 
we put a lot of emphasis on being able to speak things and communicate things well. But even if we're communicating things well, if we're using the, the best source of communication that humanity has to offer, even if we could speak with tongues of angels, I bet angels can probably communicate pretty well. If somehow we had that ability to, to speak. But if we don't have love, then we become annoying. We become a, an annoying sound to, to people. This is a mistake we make as Christians is we're so passionate about the message of truth, which we should be, is we don't pause to go, do I really even care about this person? Am I more just about making sure that I get heard? I'm going to cram truth down their throat, whether they want to hear it or not, and I'm going to give it to them, and I've got my points, my three points, and, and here we go. And they're on the receiving end going, this is annoying. This is driving me nuts because I can tell you don't care about me. I can tell you don't love me. You don't want to be invested in my life. When I started doing youth ministry here at Rocky Mountain Calvary about a lifetime ago, it was 20 years ago, I was doing junior high ministry, and I was fresh out of Bible college and school of ministry, and I'd learned a lot of things in Bible college and school of ministry. And I think to some level, I had the, the technical aspects of ministry somewhat learned. The organizational pieces and some of the things that were needed to be a youth pastor. But I was playing it safe. In my heart, I wasn't really investing in the kids. I wasn't really loving the kids. But from the, the exterior, I would, people would probably look on and they would go, well, he's probably doing a, an okay job. And Sean Rafferty, who did announcements, he was doing high school and I was doing junior high. And he could see it. And he sat down and he challenged me. And he said, Eric, if you moved away, you wouldn't miss any of these kids because you're not loving them from, from your heart. And that really rocked me. And what had happened to me is during the time of Bible college and school ministry, I experienced some hurt from church, right? Imagine that, we hurt each other sometimes inside of the body. And I'm sure I was a part of that, but was also on the receiving end of some of that. And I decided I want to do ministry, but I'm going to do it from a distance because I don't want to love like that because I know it's going to involve hurt. So that was my reasoning. I built up walls ar around myself. In that moment when Sean was talking to me, I said, you know what, God, I want to love. I want to love these, these kids. I want to pour my life into these kids. And something changed, and God really gave me a burden for those kids. In some way, is that how you're living life? Where you've put walls up around yourself? Where you've gotten hurt in the past? And you're saying, I'm not doing that again. I'll, I'll play it from a close distance so that I don't have to invest myself in others. But you've got the messages. You've got the technical pieces down. You know how to de declare truth. Or has there been someone during this COVID season that has been difficult for you to deal with? There's aspects of this challenge with COVID where it doesn't bring out the best in our personalities, right? So maybe it's extended family, maybe it's immediate family, Maybe it's a friend, but it's somebody you're in relationship with 
Maybe they annoyed you about this much prior to COVID, but now they're annoying you about this much. Because the quirks in their personalities, the struggles with sin, it's all just been, been magnified. And God's challenging. He's saying, look, I want you to really love them. I want you to really care for them. Because if we just have the message without the love, then we become annoying. In verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So without love, knowing it all helps no one. <laughs> if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and knowledge, remember the church of Corinth is putting a focus on the spiritual gifts, but there's the absence of love. There's the absence of love for God and love for others, and the gifts were actually being used in a selfish way. Have you ever seen someone's knowledge actually be used to glorify themselves? Paul wrote earlier in this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So someone can have knowledge, but not necessarily be edifying. Their knowledge produces this pride and this arrogance and this self-confidence and even condemnation of, of others. This is quite the knowledge that's placed here. Prophecy, all mysteries, all knowledge. But if it doesn't have love, then it has no spiritual profit. It's the knowledge with the love that causes there to be edification, that causes people to be able to be built up in the Lord. I think a biblical example of this is the Pharisees. They were crammed head full with knowledge, weren't they? But they didn't have love. They really didn't have a genuine love for God or love for others. And because of that, their lives were not filled with, with the fruit of God. One of the things that we do really value as believers is truth, isn't it? Which is rightfully so. We should never compromise truth, but with truth needs to be the love of God. Jesus came in the fullness of grace and in the fullness of, of truth. Whoever designed kids Motrin was a genius because there's medicine in there, but it tastes good. So kids will take it when they're sick and not, not feeling well. You got to have the truth in there. The, the truth is the power. The truth is the, the medicine. But the love is what makes it attractive. The love is what draws people to God. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. So as we continue to learn about the Lord and hopefully grow in knowledge, hopefully also we're growing in love. If the knowledge doesn't lead to love, then something is incredibly missing. But also steps of faith. Without love, risk-taking faith is worthless. Without love, risk-taking faith is worthless. If Paul says, if I could take steps of faith to the point where a mountain is removed, but it's not done with love, it's worthless. It, it, it's pointless. Someone could really step out in faith because the Lord has, has called them, but if it's not mixed with the love of God, then there's no long-term fruit. There's no long-term impact. If we're not careful, sometimes the steps of faith can end up being more about the person than about the Lord. The person gets glorified that takes that step of faith. In verse three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, 
And though I give my body to be burned, but do not love, it profits me nothing. If you took all of your material goods, you cleaned out your bank account, sold your vehicles, sold your car, cashed out your equity, gave it all to the poor, but if it's not done with love, it's unprofitable. Have you ever received a gift that you wish you wouldn't have taken <laughs> because it came with some strings attached? We probably all have done that, right? Or maybe even sometimes, unfortunately, we've extended a gift. That gift has come with some expectations upon that, that person. A lot of people that don't know the Lord do a lot of giving. What's the motivation for their giving? Who, who knows, Right? But those gifts that we've received that are really meaningful are filled with love, right? Some of the most valued gifts that I've ever received in my life have been on my nightstand or on my pillow as my kids will draw me a picture or, or write me a note or Father's Day card. Many times on, on Father's Day, I'll get up to the pulpit and they'll, there'll be a secret card up here, right? Now that, that's worth more than any monetary value. You can't put a price tag on that because it's, it's love. So you could have a big monetary gift with the absence of love and it's not, not profitable. Is our giving sometimes out of obligation? Or like, man, I feel obligated to give or somehow I've, I've got to give in order to be right with the Lord. We're missing it on giving. Allow giving to be an expression of love, love for the Lord and love for the person that you're feeling led to, to reach out to. And then lastly, if you make the ultimate sacrifice, without love, the ultimate sacrifice of one's life is pointless. You give your body to be burned. Give your body to be burned, a martyr. But if love is not the reason for that sacrifice, again, there's no fruit. It results in nothingness. It's, it's pointless. So we could be serving the Lord our whole lives, but if the motivation is not love, love for God and love for others, at the end of it, it's a giant zero. D.A. Carson described these three verses as divine mathematics. You've got five statements, minus one, minus love equals zero. Five minus one equals zero. You could do these five things, but if you don't have love, it's going to equal a zero. Jerry Bridges says, when you have a zero to infinity, it's still zero. You're still in the zero category. Zero plus zero plus zero plus zero. But when you have one plus one plus one plus one, you, man, you're going somewhere. So God's economy is about love. God's mathematics is about love. We start to put this into our relationships and we go, man, I'm so concerned that I make sure to communicate truth right to my kids or communicate the gospel just right to my coworkers or express this in the perfect way. I, I need to speak with tongues of angels, but if there's not love, nothing. Man, I need to take steps of faith. I need to get out of my comfort zone. If there, there's not love, it, it's nothing. I think prior to hearing these three verses, we knew the importance of love, didn't we? Even before we came in here tonight. 
Even if this is your first exposure to the scriptures, you understand the importance of love. I understand the importance of love. We see the lack of love and we see the need for love. The problem is, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this evening, is how in the world do we get there? How in the world do we get there? Have you gone through seasons where you're like, I feel really convicted for the lack of love in my life. I want to be a more loving person. But at the end of some concentrated effort, there's still a lack of love. This kind of love flows out of first receiving God's love for us. Are you fully convinced that God loves you? Are you fully convinced? Are you persuaded that he loves you? If you were to put a percentage on it, would you go, man, you know, I'm 80% convinced. I'm 70% convinced. Well, I'm really only convinced that God loves me when I have my act together. But when I fall short, I I don't believe that, that God loves me. Unloved people don't love very well, right? So if we don't believe in the core of us that God loves us and we're not settled there, we're not abiding there, we're not rejoicing there, it's going to be really difficult for us to be able to love others. So turn with me to a couple places in your Bibles, Romans chapter 8, and let's look at verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Paul's writing about the love of God. And this is what he declares. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Good question. If God is for you, who can be against you? Do you believe that God is for you? How do you know that God is for you? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We know that God is for us because he's freely, he's, he's willingly given his son. And if he's willingly given his son, how is he not gonna then give us all good things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who, who's gonna condemn you It's God who justifies. It's God who forgives. It's God who declares us to be righteous. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Do you know Jesus is praying for you? He ever lives to make intercession for us? Here's the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or COVID-19? Shall COVID-19 separate you from the love of God? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. The love of God does not make us immune from suffering or persecution. Yet, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want you to declare that as I read that. 
I'm going to read this verse again. And when I get to this part of the verse, it says, through him who loved us. I just want you to shout, who loved us, okay? Three words, who loved us. I know this is getting hard. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who We conquer because of this confidence that I know that I'm loved by God. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch that? Paul said, for I, I am persuaded, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. This must have been a journey for the Apostle Paul because of his past before he knew Christ as his Savior. He persecuted Christians. He held the coat of Stephen when Stephen was stoned. Those images of Christians being killed would never leave his heart and mind. How easy would it have been for Paul to live in condemnation, to live separate from the love of God? But as he wrestled through those memories, allowing the blood of Jesus to cover those images, he came to a conclusion, I'm loved by God. I know that I'm loved by God. I know that he loves me unconditionally. These trials that he's allowing in my life does not cancel out his love for me. I'm confident in his love even though I'm on this rough road, even though I'm experiencing all of this hardship. And that's also where the rubber meets the road in our lives, isn't it? We all probably have times where we go, man, God, I, I believe that you love me, but why have you allowed this in my life? Why have you allowed this rejection? Why have you re- allowed this loss of job? Why have you allowed this, this sickness, this, this persecution? Lord, what's going on? But as we wrestle and we look back upon the cross, we go, Lord, I'm persuaded that you love me. I'm persuaded that you're there for me. So as the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate this question in your heart and life, am I fully convinced that God loves me? Can I write down, I am persuaded that nothing's going to separate me from, from the love of God? Is there a part of you that doubts the love of God? That's where we got to go. That's where we got to go. The love for others is first going to flow out of really believing and receiving that God loves us. Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus that they would know the love of God which passes knowledge. This is believers that are doing well, but Paul says, hey, you guys need a deeper revelation of God's love. I think that's us. I think that's Rocky Mountain Calvary. In July of 2020, God wants to give us a deeper understanding of his love for us personally. For you personally. Not for somebody else. Not for someone who's sitting next to you or listening at home with you or someone that you wish would would understand the love of God, but you personally, me personally, God wants to blow our socks off, bless our socks off with the knowledge of his love where we can be fully convinced, fully persuaded 
that nothing's going to separate us from God's love. No sin, no failure, no difficulty. The things that are past are not going to separate us from God's love. The things that are present, the things that are yet future. God's love is everlasting and is going to remain in our lives. Next verse to look at, I want you to turn there. John 3.16. John 3.16. The proof and the full expression of God's love is in the gift of Christ. This is how we can be fully persuaded that God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God. What comes to your mind when you think of God? Is it love? Do you think of his power? Do you think of his justice? Do you think of his judgment? Or do you think of his love? For God so loved. He's a God of love. And is that what you think of when you, when you think of God? This ultimate refuge of, of love. For God so loved that he gave. He wanted to express his love to us in the ultimate gift. Yes, we see his love in creation. We see his love in giving a set of laws. But he knew that for us to really understand and fully grasp his love for us, it would take the gift of his son. So he gave for the world his only begotten son. Let's think of this in two regards. Put ourselves there. For God so loved you. He loved you. He had you in mind when he sent his son to die upon the cross. He uniquely created you. And Jesus distinctly died for you. When we think of Christ's death, it's got to be personal. My sin. He took my sin upon the cross. But then the second aspect of, man, he died for everyone. He died for everyone. As we're looking at the world right now, do we see people through the lens that Jesus died for them? Man, Jesus loves you. Jesus died died for you, right? Most of you know I'm from the promised land, which is Oregon. Did you guys realize Oregon's the promised land? So I'm, I'm a little disturbed about what's been happening in Portland, right? My grandparents, both sides, Portland, Oregon. Thankfully, they were on the Washington State side, just across the Columbia River, so we don't technically have to claim Portland. But the riots that are taking place there, it's getting out of control, right? It's pretty, pretty wild. It's the headlines of all the news, the news this week. And do I look at those rioting and see, man, God loves you. God gave his son for you. He died for you. He wants to reveal himself to you. So we want to see ourselves inside of God's love, but also to see the world inside of God's love. That he gave his his only begotten son. His only begotten son. The father, on a few occasions, he speaks audibly from, from heaven. Out loud where you could hear. When Jesus was baptized... 
the father speaks. He says, this is my boy. (laughs) This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I want everybody to hear, I love this guy. This is my son. I love him. And the reason that I want you to know that is because then you're going to value the sacrifice of his death upon the cross. As a dad, I just love to get my hands on my kids. I love to hug them and kiss them. And when they're little, and now that they're not so little, they still, they got to put up with it, right? These are my kids. I love them, right? I want them to know that I love them. I want everybody to know that I love them. I'm proud of them. And God, he feels that way about his son so much more, so much more. Words cannot even begin to express how much the Father loves you because he was willing to give his only begotten son for you, for me. So as we try to sort out, does God really love me in the midst of all my shortcomings, sin, and failures? Yes! Yes, he does. Because he gave his son to be the answer for that sin. So he could be in relationship with us. In the midst of this trial, this, this rejection, this hardship, this persecution that I don't understand, that, that I don't want, does God love me? Could he really love me and allow me to suffer in this way and be rejected and stomped upon and disappointed? Yes, because he gave. He gave his only begotten son. So if I'm gonna receive this love that I don't understand, I can also then trust God in this trial that I, that I don't understand. He gave his only begotten son to prove his love for you. Jesus is the express image of the Father. He declares who the Father is. So when we're looking at Jesus, we see the Father. We see his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his boy, his only begotten son, that whoever believes, believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Could it really be that simple? Could it really be that powerful that we believe that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins? and rose again, then we're saved. We have everlasting life as we've invited him to be the Lord of our life. I mean, did Jesus get this right? How come he didn't require baptism? How come he didn't require a tithe check, giving online? He didn't even ask for a new believers class. He said, believe, believe. Whoever believes will have everlasting life, this glorious exchange of grace where we give God our sin and instead of punishment, we receive his forgiveness. We receive everlasting life. That's the expression of God's love. Now, why did he give us everlasting life? Well, he doesn't really like us. He doesn't really want to spend time with us. Well, we'll get saved and we'll get to heaven and then He'll probably never even look at us and just give us some more shame, right? No, he he brought us into everlasting life because he wants to be in relationship with us. We're his sons, we're his daughters. We're the bride of Christ, the the deepest of, of relationships and then get to enjoy that relationship for all of eternity, for all of eternity. 
may God's love be awakened in our hearts. Because me like you, I've tried harder to love better and fallen short. And there's areas of my heart that are hard and frustrated and people that are difficult to love. And God wants to, to break through. I really believe that God wants to do a unique work right now through his children, through the church, through us, his body. And in order for him to use us, we've got to have his heart of love. We've got to have his heart of love. Yes, we need the truth, but the truth has to be coupled with love. This overwhelming love for others. So where does that start? It starts from understanding and believing. I am convinced. I am persuaded. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Where God's grace would become so overwhelming in our lives that we wouldn't just receive it, but then we would start to extend it. We'd extend it. Extend it to believers. Don't you think this is a great time to extend some love and some grace to believers? I'm I'm hearing testimony of biological families getting divided over this issue of masks. You've got family members where part of the family feels really convicted to wear masks, and then the other part of the family feels very convicted to not wear masks. And it has become an issue of biblical proportions. And everybody's preaching about masks or or no masks. And all of a sudden, everybody's hot and they're angry and they're not going to spend time together because somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong over the issue of masks. All of them are believers. All of them are believers. All in the same family. All the same mom and dad not spending time together because of masks. I think it's time for some grace, don't you? Like, wear a mask. Wear a mask to be with your brother or sister, your biological brother or sister who happens to be a believer that is fully convinced that, hey, you need to wear a mask. I can wear a mask for two hours to spend time with you, right? No, I can't. Jesus died for my sins, but I ain't wearing no mask, right? I ain't gonna do it. This is biblical proportions, right? And there's this huge division that is taking place. Or, okay, you're, you don't really into this mass thing? I'll, I'll go ahead and meet you somewhere and we'll, we'll figure it out together. We're gonna, we're gonna love. But that, those kind of issues, those kind of issues are gonna flow out of, man, I'm loved by God. This is what Jesus has done for me. He loves me. He's, he's crazy in love with me, so I'm willing to make this, this sacrifice over here. Maybe there's a hard heart with a spouse. There's some bitterness that's come in. You're like, I'm tired of sacrificing. I'm tired of laying down my life. I'm tired of, of loving them. This hasn't gotten me anywhere. And all of a sudden, tonight, the Lord just reminds us, oh man, I love you. I made the sacrifice for your sins. I haven't stopped loving you when you're ugly and when you're sinful. And our heart begins to change and our heart begins to shift all because we're rooted and grounded and we're, we're settled in the love of God.
Has your relationship with the Lord gotten a little dry, a little distant? Does it seem like there's something missing? Jesus wrote to the church of Ephesus and said, this one thing I have against you is you've left your first love. They've become a loveless church. But when you look at their resume, they did good works, they had sound doctrine, they had all the A pluses, the marks for excellence with the church. But, but Jesus says, you know, you just don't seem to be very excited about me. When it comes to reading the word, you're, there's not much hunger there. When it comes to singing, it's kind of turned into yawning. When it comes to praying, there's a lot of distance. Return, remember. Remember that first love. Return to those first works. Do you remember when you first fell in love with the Lord? Do you remember when you first got exposed to this fact, man, Jesus loves me? He first given me of all my sins. He gave me his only begotten son. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And you're like, man, I just want to spend time with the Lord. I want to read his word. I want to be with believers. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to share this, this crazy love that God has, has given to me. When God's love is relevant in our lives, man, the love for others just begins to, to flow out of that, that place. So simple reminder tonight for all of us as you're loved by God. <laughs> you are loved by God. You are a dirty, stinking, rotten sinner that is loved by God. I'm a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner that's loved by God. And he loved us so, so, so very much that he gave, he gave his only begotten son so that we could be the children of God. So let's pray together. Let's, let's press in and let's pray and ask that God would reveal his love afresh in our lives. Father, there's an aspect of this message that we have to experience. It's like looking at a, a pool on a hot day. People can describe to us the refreshment of that water, but until we dive in, we'll never know. God, I pray for every believer, for all of us, that you would remind us, awaken us to the reality that we're loved by you, by your grace and, and your mercy. When we're at our worst, you demonstrated your love towards us and you gave your son for us. And God, in the midst of trial, in the midst of failure and sin and hardship, we question and we wrestle your love. But we ask that we could get to a place like Paul, say, I'm persuaded that nothing will separate me from the love of God. Would you root us and settle us just deep into your love? May we know your love that passes knowledge. And as we sing this last song together, Lord, would you move in our midst? And would you speak to our hearts of your, your love for us? In Jesus' name, amen.